Well, good morning, Three Rivers. No, that's really weak. I mean, I know it's raining outside and all that, but y'all can do better things. Good morning. Are you excited to be here, even in the midst of the rain? The Bible tells us that that is God's blessing that falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And even though maybe a few of us are a little wet this morning, I want us to be able to see that as God's blessing to us today. Well, we are um, we're continuing in this series that we started uh, a bunch of weeks ago on fellowship. And we last week, Josh talked to you uh, from 1 John 1, 1 to 4. And we're going to pick up where he left off. Um, we talked about this idea of fellowship, that fellowship, biblically, this word koinonia means a sharing in, a participation in, um, a contribution in, a fellowship with. And we're looking today more of, of what that looks like. Um, last week, Josh reminded us that fellowship begins in the very nature of God, that Father, Son, and Spirit have in, in them an inner Trinitarian community and a fellowship uh, that we are, we are blessed with and we are called to model. Um, he reminded us that our fellowship with God only comes through the person and work of Jesus, that there is no other way that we have that fellowship but by what Jesus has done on our behalf. And he reminded us that true fellowship between man and man only comes when we have fellowship together with Jesus. Otherwise, we just have a social club. Otherwise, we just have some commonality that we have a friendship around, but we don't have fellowship. And that's key, that, that Christ is the one that creates that fellowship that we walk in together. And then he told us uh, that John tells us as well in verse 4, he says, we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. That the purpose of, of us seeing this is so that we will have complete joy. Uh, that, that our fellowship will be strong between us and God and between us and each other. And that we will have joy in that. It really feels like y'all are like a million miles away. This is, <laughs> like everybody's sitting towards the back. So, uh, I'll, anyway. Um, so today we're going to continue looking at this idea of fellowship, um, and we're going to look at what is what what John describes to us. What is a barrier to fellowship? What is the destroyer of fellowship if left unchecked? Um, so we're going to look at First John one five through two two. And I want to tell you on the outset as I start, I think if you have been a Christian for any length of time, this is not going to be new information to you. If you've been in church for a, for a long time, this is not new information. But this morning is not about information. It's about application. It's about taking the truth of the scripture that we understand and that we know and not resisting God, but letting him have his way with us um, so that we are able to walk fully in joy together. Um, and so as, as we look at this, the first way I want you to maybe hear this a little differently then you've heard it in the past. And the first way that I want us to do that is by reading this passage together. Uh, Jeff's going to have it up on the screen. And I want us to read this together this morning. Um, and then we'll, we'll jump into uh, exegeting it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into this passage. Father, this is truth this morning, and so I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth, uh, that you would not allow us just to experience it with our, with our minds, but that you would bore down to the heart level this morning, um, and that you would help us to understand this on a heart level and to apply what we know. God, we want to walk in the light. We want to walk in your light. We want to have fellowship with you and with each other. And so, God, would you begin that process of rooting out from us any sin that would, that would break that fellowship, that would cause us to walk out of the light and to step into darkness? God, would you cause us to love you in such a way that we know and we experience our fullest joy in you? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to just kind of walk through this. Um, John says in verse 5, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture, that God is light, the association of, of light with God. And so... What does that mean? What does it mean that God is light? What does it mean that in him is no darkness? Let me give you a very quick survey through the Bible on what it means that God is light and the association with light and God. Um, just so that you can kind of hear this, the, the repetition of this as we begin to, to walk through this passage. Um, in Exodus 3, Moses experienced God as fire, as an intense light. In Exodus 13, God appeared as a pillar of fire to guide his people by that light at night. In Psalm 4:6, he prays, "Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord." In Psalm 56:13, that I may walk before God in the light of life. In Psalm 112:4, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. In Psalm 119:105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Psalm 119:130, the unfolding of your word gives light. In Isaiah 2.5, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In Isaiah 49.6, the Lord speaks and he says, I will make you as a light for the nations. In Isaiah 60.20, it says, the Lord will be your everlasting light. In Matthew 5.14, Jesus tells his disciples, you are the light of the world. In John 1.4-5, 
He says, in him we was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John three nineteen, as Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In John eight twelve, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 12, 35 and 36, 35 and 36 says, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. In Acts 13, 47, Paul and Barnabas are speaking to Gentiles, and they say, So for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In Romans 13, 12 to 14, it says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. First John, this same letter that we're looking at this morning, over in the next chapter, 2, 10 to 11, says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So that's a pretty quick survey through Scripture. And I think you see the idea that light represents God, represents holiness, represents righteousness, represents truthfulness, represents his uprightness, represents his call for us to take that message to the nations. And darkness is the complete opposite of that, right? Every time you see Scripture reference darkness, you see things that are shameful. You see things that are against God. You see deceit. You see lying. You see untruthfulness. You see all these things that are, that are the opposite of God. And John tells us in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. And so we can never think of anything being darkness, being associated with darkness, uh, being associated with God. And so John lays that, that little foundation for us, and then he comes and addresses three false claims that are cropping up in this young church um, that are causing division, that are causing disruption in their fellowship, that are causing ultimately the gospel to be distorted and potentially misbelieved. And he takes these, each one of these head on, um, and he, he says, here's what people are saying, but let me tell you what the truth is. Here's what people are saying, but let me tell you what the truth is. And so what I want to do this morning is walk through those um, and, and let's see what the application for us is. There's some false claims, and he gives us the remedy for each one of those. And the first one we see in verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There are, there are a lot of folks, that uh, scholars, that will say there, there was this Gnostic influence that had begun to infiltrate the church. Um, 
that's really more than what we're going to get into right now this morning. But I'm not so sure about that. I think maybe that came a little bit later. Maybe there's some precursors of that that came into the church. Uh, but I, I believe that John is writing before that. You know, typically when you look at church history, that became a, a bigger influence in, in the second century. And John's writing towards the end of the first. And so I'm not so sure about that. Um, but I think this is mainly an in-house matter of sin that is really distorting the, the gospel and that he's writing to. Um, and he's writing to correct that. And he's writing as a pastor. And we looked at, at uh, verse 4 last week. You see John's pastoral heart, and I think you'll see it in this passage too. Where he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The purpose is, is to correct, but it's also so that the church will experience true joy that only comes through a correct fellowship with the Lord and with each other. So the first claim is that you can have fellowship with him while you're walking in darkness. That you can, you can commingle the two. These people are saying, yeah, we have fellowship with the Lord. And yet John says, but your life, the pattern of your life is that you're walking in darkness. There, there's, not, there's not consistency between what you say and what you proclaim and the actions of your life. And so why is this a false claim? Well, because fellowship, as we looked at last week, means that we have something in common, right? It means a commonality. It means a participation in. It means that we have a, a togetherness. It means a sharing together. Um, and he says there is no sharing between darkness and light. There is no commonality between darkness and light. So to say that you walk in the light and that the pattern of your life shows that you're walking in darkness, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. Um, this word walk is Greek peripateo. It means literally to walk, but it also means the behavior, the, the long pattern of your life. Um, how are you behaving in a, in a day-to-day manner? Not maybe minute-to-minute, because minute, um, we all stumble, and we'll see that in this passage as well. But what's the, what's the overall pattern of your life? Is it one of sin and rebellion? Is it one of pride and arrogance? Or is it one uh, that walks in the light of fellowship with God and with, with fellow man? To give you an idea, um, you guys look really stoic this morning. <laughs> give you an idea, we could do a little experience experiment um are any of y'all alabama fans in this room okay we've got, there's always a few god bless you this is not the same there, there's this there's this rivalry between georgia and georgia tech but it's not the same as alabama auburn okay so what i want to do is propose to you the next time alabama and auburn play you go sit in the auburn student section with all your alabama gear on and be as loud and raucous as you can be <laughs> would you have fellowship with those people? There would be no fellowship, right? There would be there would be strong conflict. And whether you say one is light and one is darkness or whatever, I'm not getting into that. But there would be strong strong discord. Um, we don't we don't see this here in our country. But I have a friend that uh, was was in Spain last year, and he told me about going to a professional soccer match. And he said that there they actually lock the visitors in to the stands, the, the people that are cheering for the visitor team, they bring them in, they lock them into the stands for their own protection because they get so loud and crazy and drunk and all kinds of stuff that, that there have been people killed. And so for their own protection, they lock them in. There is no, you know, there's that light and darkness that are clashing there. There is no commonality there. There is no fellowship there. And that same, that same image, that same metaphor, I think, is, is what 
John is driving at here. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. Uh, and, and we can't pretend that there is. We can't excuse um, walking, saying that we were walking in light and walking in darkness. Because it's, it's just, it just doesn't work. So what's the result of this claim? Well, John says in verse 6 that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. He doesn't varnish it at all, does he? I mean, he says, you lie and you do not practice the truth. He says we're false in our word because we lie and we're false in our deeds because we're not walking in, we're not practicing the truth. We're not walking in the truth. And because of that, we can't have fellowship with God. And because of that, we can't have fellowship with each other. That's a serious, serious consequence. I think a lot of times we kind of scoff at sin and we kind of, you know, make light of it. Um, think it's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal biblically. It is a big deal. God takes our sin very seriously. Gary Burge commenting on this passage says, individuals in John's church were claiming that they had an intimate walk with God, that their lives were unstained with sin, and that they had done no wrong. The issue was not some disagreement over specific acts of purported wrongdoing. They were not refusing to acknowledge some sin for which John is rebuking them. The problem lay deeper. Verse 6 hints that these Christians were living a double life. You've got folks that are claiming to walk in the light and yet are walking in darkness. And John says, it, it can't happen. They're completely incompatible. And so he gives us the remedy. What do you do if you find yourself in this circumstance? What do you do if you find other people in this circumstance in the fellowship? In verse 7 he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. The remedy to this is not to grin and bear it. It's not to grit your teeth and try harder. Is to walk in the light. It is to walk in the light of Jesus as he is in the light. Um, instead of living a life that is characterized by all these things of the darkness, by evil, by falsehood, by um, unrighteousness and error, we walk in what we know that God is, uh, is about, which is light. There's a, a disorder some of y'all probably have heard of. Some of you maybe have dealt with this called seasonal affective disorder that affects people in the, in the fall and the winter. Um, some people have it here. It's really pronounced in places like Alaska where they don't get hardly any sunlight throughout the winter. But the whole, the whole issue with seasonal affective disorder is when you don't get enough sunlight, um, your body begins to react to that. And so people with seasonal affective disorder have um, literally a chemical imbalance in their brain because of lack of sunlight. Um, they don't get enough sunlight, and so they don't. Serotonin is not released in their brain, which begins to cause them to be depressed. Um, and then, not enough mel or too much melatonin is released, which causes them to kind of mess up their sleep cycle, and it just makes the depression worse. And it's a real uh, issue and cause of depression for a lot of folks. What's the What's the remedy for that? Light. Yeah, doctors don't give you a pill for that usually. They they say, you need to sit under a bright light for a little while. You need to be in the light. You need to, to be under the light, and then the body begins to correct itself. Uh, and if you guys will allow me kind of a corny spiritual analogy here, I think most of us may not have seasonal affective disorder, but we have sin affective disorder. 
And when we begin to, to walk in the darkness and not be in the light, um, it affects us. It affects our walk. It affects our fellowship with God. It affects our fellowship with each other. And so the answer to that, again, is not to just try harder, is not to grin and bear it, is not to grit our teeth and, and say we're just going to bootstrap this up and, and get on about the business of it. It's to, to spend our time in, uh, in the light, in the light of, of God, through fellowship with his son, and in fellowship with each other. And only when we walk in the light do we experience that remedy that we need. So let me just, as a basic point of application, ask this morning, are you walking in the light? Are you dabbling in the darkness? Um, are there things that other people may not see about your life, but that are causing you to walk away from God? Is that something that um, that we are... You know, one of the things about fellowship and the reason that we're talking about this is you could come in this room this morning and unless you know me, unless you're connected to me in fellowship on a, on a weekly basis, unless you're connected to me in community, you wouldn't have any idea what happens with me Monday through Friday and would not even know how to help me if I fall into the darkness. The same is true for y'all. I, you know, unless you're connected to somebody that is walking in the light, you don't have that person that can help, help you walk back into the, into the light. And so that's part of why we're talking about this in the context of fellowship because it is vitally important that we have that community uh, of, of other Christians that help us and encourage us to walk in the light. Um, and John tells us that's the, re- the remedy, and the result of that is that we have restored fellowship. In verse 7, he says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's one of the results. You know, I think it's interesting, primarily, we have restored fellowship with God first. But that's not how he says it here. He says we have fellowship with one another. And that, even though that is a byproduct of our fellowship with God, it's one of the first things I think that we feel and that we see. And so he says, if we walk in the light, we have restored fellowship with with one another. Gary Burge, again, commenting on this passage, says, John sees an intrinsic connection between our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. One is not possible without the other. It's curious that instead of saying that those who walk in the light have fellowship with God, John says that we have fellowship with each other, and that's the most obvious consequence. Again, we have to keep this controversy in mind. John is confronting spiritually elitist Christians who not only exhibited erroneous beliefs, but in their delusions they destroyed the fabric of Christian community. Perhaps they were promoting a superior spirituality to look down on others who remained uninitiated. Perhaps they were unaware of their separatist demeanor. Either way, dishonest spirituality led to fractured communities. Another way to say this is that walking in the light is the only way that we can have a basis to generally walk in fellowship with one another. And so it's vitally important. Um, The second result of walking in the light that we see in verse 7 is, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This word, to cleanse, means to purify. It doesn't mean just to, to give forgiveness. It means a complete purification. It means a removal that has an, an impact now and on into the future. It's a permanent effect. And that's what we need. We need to have that sin removed now and so that the effect of it does not last on into the future. It's not like... Some of the detergent commercials you see on TV, you know, where you say, well, this one gets whites whiter. 
God's cleansing gets whites pure completely. Not just a little bit better shade of white, but he completely removes our sin. Um, I think it's the result of that is that we have freedom in our walk as well. Um, This is not, I don't want you to hear in anything that I'm saying today, um, a a condemnation or a beating down of anyone who finds himself in sin. Because the reality is, for every one of us, we're going to sin. Um, I would I would venture to guess that every one of, of us either has already today or by the time you finish lunch will, right? I mean, that is something that we are beset with. And yet this this idea of walking is not just a one-time event. It's what is the pattern of your life. And John um, talks about that we're not going to be sinless, but there is a remedy for that. There's a remedy, and it's walking in the light, continually walking with him. So what's the overall pattern of your life? I think one of the applications for us, too, is to, for us to ask, is the forgiveness of God and then the forgiveness between each other something that is a central part of our fellowship? It should be. Um, do we think that we've arrived and instead of a, and develop a spiritual arrogance and elitism? Or are we seeking forgiveness and restored relationship between us and God and between us and others? How's your walk? The second false claim that, that uh, John addresses is those that said that they have no sin, that presently they are experiencing no sin. In verse 8 he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's this teaching that had cropped up and you see it from time to time even today among those that, that profess the name of Christ that say, well, yeah, maybe I sinned back then, but right now I'm, I'm completely sinless. God has perfected me. I don't have any issues. I'm just completely walking in holiness, and there is no sin in my life at all. And John says, that's not true. Um, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I think there's a real arrogance that is expressed there for someone to say, I have no sin. And what I, well, the question I want to, or the response that I want to have is, I just want to ask a family member, is that true? I mean, because if you want to know what my sins are, come to my house and you'll know them pretty quickly. Um, all of us, all of us struggle with sin. Um, and they're all different things for us, right? We, none of us can say we are without sin. But again, what is the overall pattern of your life? How are you walking? Are you, are you walking in the light? Or are you walking as a consistent pattern of your life in darkness? Because the consequence of claiming that we are without sin, John says, is self-deceit. That we deceive ourselves. Um, it's living in error. That the truth is not in us. And it's walking in darkness. That, that we are not walking in fellowship with God or with each other. And the remedy that he gives for that is in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is probably a memory verse for a lot of you as a child. Um, But this is something that we cannot get away from the truth of because this is applicable not only for those that are outside the faith. When we come to Jesus for the first time, this is applicable to to each of us on a day-to-day basis. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to purify us of all unrighteousness. And that's the remedy that God has, has put in place for us. 
So we need to see our sins the same way that God sees them. We don't need to kid ourselves and think, yeah, I've arrived. It's all good. I don't have any issues at all. I, don't, I, I never sin. It's, it's fine. We, we need to, to see our sin the same way that God does, but also to see that he has made provision for us. Um, and he makes it possible for us to continue in fellowship with him through this provision of Jesus. So another basic application question. What, what role does confession and repentance of sin play in your day-to-day life? Um, what areas of your life do you need to examine and possibly repent of today? Because repentance brings, again, it's not about a beatdown. It's not about making you feel bad. Repentance brings freedom. Repentance brings relief. Repentance brings a joy that we can't have when we're walking under the burden of sin. Um, John addresses the third false claim in, in verse 10. When he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And this is similar to the, to the statement that they made before, but this is, again, somebody claiming that they've never sinned. Not only do I not sin now, I've never sinned. I'm perfect. It's completely ludicrous. It's like, what do I need to confess? I don't need to confess anything. I've never done anything wrong. Have you ever met anybody like that? Aren't they insufferable to be around? <laughs> I mean, just think, I have never done anything wrong in my life. It just it, it goes against the grain of everything that we know to be true about ourselves and everything we know to be true about each other and everything that Scripture tells us. Um, we have to see our sin as God sees them. F.F. F. Bruce describes sin, and, and he wrote, There's something in man, even regenerate man, which objects to God and seeks to be independent of him. And I think ultimately that's the root issue is we don't want to have to submit to God and admit and confess our sin to him. We want to say, no, it's, it's good. I'm fine. No problems here. Everything's okay. Nothing to see here. Move along. And the reality is that's not the case. Um, and the consequences of making that kind of claim are, are pretty grievous because John tells us that if we make that claim, he says in, in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Because God says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So for us to say we have not sinned turns God's word into a lie. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to be in that position of calling God a liar. Um, And so my exhortation, again, is um, for us to admit, confess, repent, and, and have freedom in that. Um, he says that if we, if we make that claim, God's word is not in us. And ultimately, what it shows is that we ultimately don't love God. Uh, because John will say in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And this is one of his commands to us. This is a, a, a precious promise to us, but it's also a command. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if we refuse to do that, we break fellowship with God. We break that ongoing fellowship with God and we break fellowship with each other. Um, and there, there are consequences to that. Fellowship with God doesn't happen by making claims that turn him into a liar. There are, we have a few folks that are out of, out of town this week and so... Um, as an experiment to, to maybe try that, that 
claim out. I wonder if uh, what would happen if all of y'all went up. I know Josh and Jenny are out of town visiting her family this week. All of y'all went up to Josh next week when he came in and said, hey, Emmett promised us that, uh, that you would give us all $100 the next time that you saw us. I think he would be kind of incredulous, right? That would be a claim that I made that turned him into a liar, and that would not engender fellowship between Josh and I. He would probably have some words for me, and we'd have to come to some kind of agreement about what I had done. Um, in the same way, when we make claims about God that make him a liar, it, it breaks that fellowship, and it has to be restored in the way that it is restored is for us to admit the truth, to confess our sin, and to come humbly to him and walk in the light with him. Um, and the way that we do that, the remedy that he says, the way that we do that is by restored fellowship through Jesus, who is our advocate. And I love this passage. We're actually going to sing this later, First uh, John 2, 1, because John gets his pastoral heart kind of comes back into play here. And you see, he's not just about trying to hammer these guys and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He says this because he loves them. He says this because he wants them to know the truth that sets them free, that gives them life, and that causes them to walk with Jesus. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. My little children, John is an old man at this point in his life, and he's, he's using family language. Um, he's using language that shows that he cares about these, these believers. Um, and he says, our hope is not just in, again, it's not just in bootstrapping it up. It's not just in trying harder, but it is in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who is our advocate. He says, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Um, you guys know what an advocate is legally, right? Would be, you go to, to court, your attorney might be your advocate. Last week we had some folks here from Casa Coina court-appointed special advocates for foster care children. It's someone who can speak on behalf of someone else when they can't speak for themselves. It's someone who can act on behalf of someone else in a way that they can't act for themselves. It's one who, who works for the good of someone in a way that is beyond the scope of that person to do for themselves. And Jesus is the ultimate advocate for us because he is righteous, because he is sinless, because he has been tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. He is the ultimate advocate for us. This, this word um, advocate is, is the word parakleton, which is, I think, interesting. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when he describes the work of the Holy Spirit. When, John, when he says, I'm going to go away, and yet I'm going to send you another helper. It's that same word that he uses to describe the Spirit, the one who will come and help us. And it, I think it shows unity in, in the Trinity. Um, but it shows us that he is for us. So Jesus is the perfect advocate because he is righteous. We are unrighteous, um, but he is perfectly righteous. And in verse 2 it says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for, only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This word propitiation means an appeasing or to satisfy. Jesus has perfectly satisfied the requirement for our sin. We no longer have to come make a sacrifice. We no longer have to try harder. We no longer have to um, bring something of ourselves to God. 
Jesus has done it for us, and we only have to walk in that. So through his death on the cross, Jesus has become the means by which God shows us mercy, not only initially, but on an ongoing basis. And he has become not only the one who is just, but the one, as Romans tells us, is just and the justifier for those that come to him. Um, And this, this propitiation, he says, is given to the whole world. But it's only accessed by those who believe in Jesus, only those who walk with him. So in this passage, John makes it clear what the basis of our fellowship is and what, is, what are some things that are barriers to our fellowship with God. And he tells us that we cannot walk in darkness, that if we walk in darkness, we're breaking fellowship with God, that we have to confess our sin on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis and that we we're restored in fellowship when we do that, and that we, we have to utilize our advocate, our advocate Jesus, who is the one who has made propitiation for us. I think sometimes it's easy for us to, for some folks, they identify with, with what's being here, saying, oh, I haven't sinned. And then for some of us, we identify on the other side, and we readily admit that we've sinned. And yet there's a tendency to, abuse even the grace of God in that to say, you know what? Yeah, I know I sin. It's not that big a deal. God will forgive me. He'll forgive me next time too, and he'll forgive me next time, and I'll just keep on doing it. It's not that big a deal. And I think we need, we need to see the error on both sides of that, that God is holy. He is righteous. He hates sin. He hates it so much that it took the death of his son to make propitiation for it, um, and yet he lovingly uh, calls us to repent of it. And so we don't need to make the error on the one side of, of self-righteously being arrogant and saying we have no sin. And we don't need to make the error on the other side that says, yeah, whatever, God will take care of it. It's not that big a deal, and I'll just worry about it again next time. Uh, we need to take seriously that he is holy, that he is light, and that we do not need to walk in darkness. So we confess our sins so that we will be forgiven through our advocate. Um, and and the the truth of that. I hope will be an anchor for you today. Um, I want to ask the band to come up. And as they're coming, I want to read for you what is the experience of one um, who walked through this process of recognizing his sin and the freedom that came when he confessed it, the relief that came when he confessed it, and the restored fellowship that came when he confessed it. This is Psalm 32, one of David's psalms. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not... Cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrow of the, of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I hope that you will be able to experience this kind of walking in the light and this kind of relief and this kind of freedom that comes when we confess our sin on a daily basis, um, both, both individually and corporately, the effect that that has for us. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to respond um, by singing God's word and by however God leads you to do that this morning. Father, thank you for the promise of your word. God, I pray that you will take uh, the truth of your word and bore down into our hearts and apply it to each of us specifically as it needs to be done. God, would you cause us um, to not be arrogant, to not deny the truth, but to come humbly to you and admit our sin and to revel in what you have done on our behalf and what you continue to do on our behalf in restoring fellowship with us and with each other? Would you give us the kind of joy that David describes here? God, I ask that you would do that in your people and that you would help us as we seek to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.